Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 14 of Revelation chapter 16. And we're going to be reading verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I'll stop reading there. Now, when uh, we look to the Bible and we find um, a name like this, the Euphrates, and God says it's the great river Euphrates, we have to search the Bible in order to find out what this great river or who this great river identifies with. For instance, we know that the Nile River identifies with the nation of Egypt, and the Jordan River identifies with Israel. But uh, which nation does the Euphrates identify with? We get our answer in the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 51. Jeremiah 51, and beginning in verse 61, through the end of the chapter, it says, And Jeremiah said to Sarahiah, When thou comest to Babylon, and shalt see, and shalt read all these words, then shalt thou say, O Jehovah, thou hast spoken against this place, to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it shall be desolate forever. And it shall be, when thou hast made an end of reading this book, that thou shalt bind a stone to it, and cast it into the midst of Euphrates. And thou shalt say, Thus shall Babylon sink, and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Now, in this passage, Jeremiah said to Sarahiah, When thou comest to Babylon... You're to read all the words of this book, and it's the book of Jeremiah, which is part of the Bible, and it is God's word concerning the captivity, concerning the judgment upon Judah, as the Lord raised up the Babylonians to bring this judgment to pass. And when you're done reading the book, Jeremiah's instructions go on, then bind a stone to it and cast it into the midst of Euphrates. Now, since you're you're going to read the book when you come to Babylon, and when you're done reading the book, you're still in Babylon, then at that point when you bind the stone to it and cast it into the Euphrates, where are you? You are in Babylon. And that's why it goes on to say in verse 64, Thus shall Babylon sink. It's, it's a picture, a representation of Babylon's judgment when the book of Jeremiah is cast into the Euphrates River because Euphrates is the river of Babylon, the river that identifies with Babylon. 
And so that means it's representative of Babylon itself. Now, perhaps you remember when we were going through Revelation chapter 9 that we discussed the Euphrates River. Let's go back to Revelation 9, and it says, beginning in verse 12, One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. And and this is describing Judgment Day. Um, the context of, of Revelation 9 is very clear about that. And therefore, it's describing May 21, 2011 and the days that are after the Tribulation. And then in verse 13, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000,000, and I heard the number of them. Now, in this passage, God commands, Loose the four angels, or messengers, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And then, it quickly transitions, that is the topic, from the four angels, as it says in verse 15, that the four angels were loosed and and that they were prepared to slay the third part of men. And then suddenly in verse 16, we read of 200 million horsemen. And it, it so happens that it's the 200 million horsemen upon their horses wind up or eventually slay the third part of men. As it says, In verse 18, by these three was the third part of men killed by the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. And that's referring back to the 200 million horsemen and their horses. They slew the third part of men, but didn't it say that the four angels were loose to slay the third part of men? And what happened to them? Why did God quickly go from discussing four angels to 200 million horsemen. And we saw that the answer is that they're one and the same. Four messengers bound in the great river Euphrates. And and that is Babylon. They were bound in Babylon or held captive in Babylon as God's command to the Jews of Judah was go into Babylon into captivity. And we understood spiritually that command represented coming out of the church and going into the world, which Babylon pictured. And yet now it's Judgment Day. It's May 21, 2011. God has saved the great multitude amongst the nations of the world or amongst Babylon. And therefore, loose the four messengers of God, and the number four points to universality, or the four points of the compass, north, south, east, and west, as we read in Matthew 24, in verse 31, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, 
and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. The four winds represent the whole world. And also, do the four messengers represent all of God's elect in all the world, Babylon, that have been bound in Babylon, but now through salvation, they are loosed. And uh, if you look up the language of the Bible concerning binding and loosing, uh, you'll you'll see that the spiritual picture of binding is being in captivity to sin and Satan, and loosing has to do with deliverance and salvation. And so the messengers of God, representing all of God's elect, are loosed out of Babylon. They they come out of the world through the deliverance of Christ in salvation. And that's why the language quickly um, tra- uh, transitions to the 200 million, because the 200 million also represent all of those that God has saved. Now, it could be an actual number, or it could be a figurative number to to represent all of the elect, the whole company, whose names are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it is that fact that all the elect have been loosed, that they've all been saved, that is the active principle in God's judgment that permits him to pour out his wrath upon all the unsaved people of the earth, especially the third part, Within the churches and congregations, the professed Christians, they're, uh, they're destroyed right away at the beginning of Judgment Day. And we've covered that pretty good, or, or gone over that many times on why that is. But again, notice that Euphrates River typifies Babylon. It fits in perfectly with what we learned um, concerning Babylon, that when we study Jeremiah 50 and so forth. Well, all right, let, let's go back to Revelation 16, verse 12, and reread it. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. That is, God's wrath is upon Babylon. And Babylon is fallen, is fallen. We, we read back in Revelation 14 and and um, in several other places in the Bible. God brings judgment on Babylon in the time of a judgment day. And and so we're not surprised that the vial of wrath is poured out upon the great river Euphrates that represents Babylon. And then it goes on to say, And the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now, we are very interested in this kind of language. And the reason that we're interested in it is because of familiarity with what God has done historically in drying up bodies of water. We know he dried up the Red Sea in order for the nation of Israel to pass through. And we know that he dried a pathway across the River Jordan so that they could cross uh, in, in time of harvest when the banks of the Jordan were overflowed. And yet they crossed on dry ground. 
And so this language fits that sort of scenario. It it matches what God has done historically in the past. But of course, um, there is no question he's in this verse. He's not saying that uh, the literal river Euphrates will dry up. No, it's a figure to represent Babylon, and Babylon represents the kingdom of Satan of this world. And therefore, uh, he is indicating that all the water of all the world will dry up. And and since it's not literal water, it is spiritual water. And spiritual water in the Bible points to the gospel of salvation. When God speaks of opening up rivers of water in the wilderness in the book of Isaiah, it is language that typifies the sending forth of the living water of the gospel into a dry world, into the wilderness of this world, wherein otherwise there would be no salvation apart from God's gracious and merciful plan of salvation. And yet now that the salvation plan of God has been concluded, now that the day of salvation has been brought to a close, and the light of the sun is out, and the door of heaven is shut, now that God has saved everyone to be saved, after uh, pouring out the latter rain uh, all over the earth or all over Babylon outside of the churches and congregations well now it in judgment day he dries up those rivers that multitude of water of the gospel so that there is no more salvation let's go back to Joshua and we'll see a couple of References to what I was just mentioning. Uh, in Joshua chapter 2, it says in verse 8, And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And this is referring to Rahab the harlot, who's going to speak to the spies that came out, uh, to, that came to search out uh, Jericho. And she said unto the men, I know that Jehovah has given you the land. And that your terror is fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how Jehovah dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, for Jehovah your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. So they heard how Jehovah dried up the water of the Red Sea when they came out of Egypt. And also in Joshua chapter 4, it says, beginning in verse 19, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day, of the first month, and encamped in Gilgal, in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones, which they took out of Jordan, did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, 
saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For Jehovah your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over as Jehovah your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of Jehovah, that it is mighty, that you might fear Jehovah your God forever. Now, in both of these cases, the drying or the parting of the Red Sea and Israel crossing over as on dry land, and the dividing of the river Jordan so that it stood upon a heap and they could cross over the river Jordan into the promised land of Canaan. In both instances, the crossing over of the dry river bed or the dry Red Sea bottom typified the entering into the kingdom of God into heaven itself. It was a beautiful illustration of the final crossing into the glorious new heaven and new earth, leaving this world and experiencing the fulfillment of all of God's promises to his people. He has delivered them ultimately, finally, completely, as they have crossed the Red Sea and It pictures salvation in Christ, but that salvation is not complete until God's people have received their new resurrected bodies and have entered into the new heaven and new earth. And and so when God uses that kind of figure, as he's doing here in Revelation chapter 16, and he says, And the water thereof, of the great river Euphrates, was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now the, the kings of the east, we'll, we'll look at that in just a minute, but the preparation for their passing and, and crossing over is that they, the kings of the east, they must go across the great river Euphrates as on dry land. And then they will pass over. Now, uh, we can understand that it's referring to leaving this world and entering into eternity, future, into heaven, into what God has in store for his people forevermore. And... Therefore, God has done a great and marvelous thing in drying up the river, that great river Euphrates. In drying up its water, it it is a necessary thing, and it is a wonderful thing. Can you imagine if you're an Israelite, and you have your backs to the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is pursuing and and there is Pharaoh with his chariots, and you know they're going to destroy you and and kill all of the Israelites that they can. And the only hope is if somehow that Red Sea might part. And God parts the sea, 
and makes a way. He prepares a way for escape, to get away from the approaching Egyptians and to go safely to the other side. Well, uh, isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that a tremendous thing? Was anyone, uh, even though many of the Jews would later murmur and complain, and uh, already before that we're, we're getting to that point, yet none complain of the opening of the pathway that God made. It was a miraculous occurrence, a, a tremendous thing that God reminds his people about all through the Bible that he was the God that opened up the Red Sea. And likewise, when Israel was on the the banks of the River Jordan, and it was at flood stage, and they needed to cross over, and yet they were a, a great nation of a million or two people, and how could they cross over at that point? But then God did another mighty miracle, And he made a way across the river Jordan at the time that it was overflowing its banks. And all Israel could cross and enter the land of Canaan, that promised land that they had been wandering uh, in the wilderness 40 years, hoping to reach and in accord with the um, promises of God, what he had told them about a land of milk and honey and and yet God made a way and he brought them into the promised land over a dry river bed as he parted the water or or uh, caused the water to stand up so that they could cross over and so too is God drying up the river of the gospel water that was overflowing the world, Babylon, the great river Euphrates, it is now dry. And this is a necessary action performed by God. It it is a final step that God had to take in order to bring his people across. And, And we could say, in looking at this on in one way, that ever since May 21, 2011, the people of God, and and as you've probably realized, the, the kings of the East picture and typify the people of God, God's elect, the people of God have been crossing over, as it were, the dry Great River Euphrates, as the gospel was dried up at that point, and we're, we're going through this dry riverbed and we are approaching the glorious kingdom of heaven and the entry into eternity future and, and all the fulfillment of everything that God has to say about it in his word. And, and so in other words, it, it was always planned. It was always part of God's final judgment that he would end salvation for this world and spiritually dry up the water of the world, uh, Babylon, 
in order to spiritually follow the historical pattern of when Israel crossed the Red Sea or when Israel crossed the River Jordan. Now his people will cross spiritually across the dry land of, of Babylon, the dry land of this world that has been prepared for the final entry into the kingdom of heaven. Well, we'll look at the way of the kings of the east, uh, that language, in our next Bible study. When we get together next time, we'll we'll see how that does relate to the true children of God. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.